everybody, and welcome to another episode of Murder Moms. I'm Maggie, and this is Janessa. Hello. And I have no idea what she has brought for us today. She's been very secretive about it. But before we get into that, how have you been? I've been super busy, and it took me three weeks to finish this episode. Yeah, you did have extra time, because we were supposed to record on my birthday, and then we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. We partied instead. Yeah, we did other things. Partied. We drove to a bakery and then drove home. Honestly, that's it was the best. <laughs> we partied. I did We're nothing else. Old. I worked other than that, so that was great. And then you had an extra week after that, and then we had this week. So you did have two extra I weeks. I did have two extra weeks. I told you. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. And then you still slacked off. Well, I don't know if I would say slacked off. Let me explain. First of all, while I was doing research for this, because I didn't know this, while I was doing research for this, I found a documentary on Netflix about it. So I took that entire night off to watch the documentary, which was amazing, and I'll tell you what it is later. All right, so that's one out of 14 days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then six, eight of those days I work. I know. So I can't do it then. But then that Britney Spears documentary came out. So I watched that. So that was an entire night. So, um, And in my defense, I actually did a lot of research. I have my notes right in front of me. And it has a word count. And there's 2,767 words or some shit. So I did a lot. I'm proud of you. And okay. I know that you... I know you're... A, very busy stay-at-home mom, and you've got lots of kids to wrangle, and... I organized it. I'm proud of you. you. I can see that it is in a Word document, which is... Yeah, let me turn it... Gonna make it very easy for me to put into a narrative. See it. Yeah, um, it is in a Word document. I've never been so proud of you in my entire life. As opposed to, like, my handwritten notes that you... (laughs) I did a good job! Uh, how how was your month? (laughs) Fuck. How was your month? Uh, it was good. Yeah. All right. What have you brought me this week? Okay. So today we are going to talk about Robert Hansen, who was dubbed Bob the Butcher, which is crazy to me because my sister's dad, not my dad, but my sister's dad mm-hmm. is a drummer and his nickname is Bob the Butcher. Okay. So that was that that was really what pulled me to it. I was like, Oh, that's that's weird and kind of related to me. Let's look into this more. I don't know. Okay. It got my interest. Uh, in any case, Robert Hansen was born in Esterville, Idaho in nineteen thirty nine to Danish immigrants. He was a first generation American and he really struggled to fit in. And some of it was probably that, you know, like his upbringing was likely different because culture Mm -hmm. but it was mostly due to his appearance he was really scrawny with just severe acne that left him scarred and he had a stutter that worsened obviously like the more he got anxious about it yeah um and all of that just kind of made him really shy growing up so he didn't have a lot of friends but god that's always so sad In an attempt to have any meaningful relationship, he worked with his dad at the family bakery, but their relationship was, like, borderline abusive. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up just being this lonely, outcast teenager, and he would try and get on dates with girls, and they would turn him down, and that obviously made him angry and, like, resent girls because they ignored him or they would tease him. Yeah. The only joy he really had was in hunting and then archery, and he practiced that often, you know, solo sport. Yeah, he can go off by himself, and yeah, no one's around to bother him or judge him. In 1957, Hansen left home and the bakery to join the United States Army Reserve, but it only lasted a year before he was discharged. He moved to Pocahontas, Idaho, and began working at the police academy as a drill instructor where he met a younger woman, and he fell in love. They were married in the summer of 1960, but on December 7th of 1960, Hansen was arrested for burning down a school bus garage as a sort of retribution 
for his teenage experience in high school. <sighs> That's excessive. Yeah, he, he was sentenced to three years in prison. Um, but while he was incarcerated, he was assessed by a psychiatrist and was diagnosed with manic depression, which is now known as bipolar disorder. Right. Um, and after several schizophrenic episodes, they also diagnosed him with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And this is where we put in our disclaimer that not everyone who has schizophrenia and bipolar disorder is a murderer or awful yeah. person. Yeah, your chemical imbalance does not make you a shit person. Because my aunt had both of those and she was delightful. Hansen's wife filed for divorce less than three months into his 36-month sentencing, which he only ended up serving 20 months of. Of course. They were officially divorced in 1962. Within months of being released, he married his second wife, Darla Henriksen. He was arrested several times over the next couple of years. Hansen and Darla moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967, where he used his years of experience to open his own bakery. What year is this? 1967. Okay, I was trying to figure out if he crossed paths with Israel Keys. <laughs> You heard Alaska, and you went, I know that. Murder. <laughs> Wasn't Israel Keys in Anchorage? I think he was. At this point, Henson's life was going great. The bakery was successful, and his relationship with his wife was great. Even after they had two kids to fill his free time, he started taking pilot classes and eventually bought his own plane and, of course, would hunt. I later learned that he never got his pilot's license, though. Okay. He took classes, but he was never given, like, a license. He just was like, no, I'm gonna do it anyways, bro. I got this. Maybe in Alaska they're looser about stuff like that? You don't have to present your license every time you fly, though. Yeah. You know? So who's really gonna stop him? I guess. You don't have somebody out there, like, on the runway, like, I'm sorry, sir, may I please? Yeah. If you live in Alaska, like... Send me some information about how Alaska works. I don't know. Oh my god, you don't know how anything works! <laughs> Alaska was prime real estate for one of his favorite pastimes, and neighbors soon recognized his passion and his ability. They praised him for stalking wolves, doll sheep, and bears with a rifle or a bow and arrow. He earned several hunting records, and they were documented in the Pope and Young Book of World Hunting Records. So he was super good at this. He was really good at it. He had a lot of hunting trophies, like taxidermy stuff and the like. In December 1971, Hansen was arrested for the rape of a prostitute, but the prostitute or sex worker? Prostitute. You'll see why. Okay. Yeah. As part of a bargaining plea. So Hansen claimed that he paid her, then she refused service and nothing more. Later that same month, he was again arrested for the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife who luckily and very narrowly escaped. You would think that he would get, like, more than a slap on the wrist for, like, back-to-back arrests for essentially the same crime. But if we've learned anything here... He was given a reduced sentence of six months. Great. Keep in mind, like, he's married at this point. Yeah. And his wife, did. she didn't even bat an eye. She stayed with him, like, loyal to the T. She was like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. That woman just seduced my husband and tried to use it against him. Like, she was on board. Huh. But his record was really quiet after that. He didn't have any other charges until 1976 when he was charged with larceny for shoplifting a chainsaw from a local store. And he was sentenced to five years in prison. So just to be clear, the rape and kidnapping and attempted rape of a second woman got him six months. But stealing a chainsaw, he was given five years. Thank you, American justice system. But the sentence was later appealed for being too tough. And it was overturned. Like, I I don't get it. Also, just, like, I'm trying to think of the logistics of trying to shoplift a chainsaw. (laughs) I really thought about this, and, like, I wasn't alive 
in this time period, so I don't know how big chainsaws are, but I know that now the electric something ones... Something you don't know. Something I don't know. I know now the electric ones, you can get, like, really small ones, but I don't think that they had that. It had to be, like, they had yeah, a full-size chainsaw. And, like, in, in a box, and, like... Chainsaws are big. I'm just trying to, like, figure out how we did it. Yeah, the logistics are unclear. There was no description of how. <laughs> I guess that's why he got caught. Yeah, that's probably true. That being said, he should have gotten the sentences reversed for yeah, those. Yeah, that didn't make any damn sense no. to me. No, At this time, though, Anchorage wasn't, like, really a big deal. Like, it wasn't a huge city or anything like that. It mm-hmm. was starting to grow rapidly, but it wasn't there yet. And, of course, the world's oldest profession was leading the growth. Yeah. And downtown was said to be so busy with sex work and porn shops and strip clubs that patrolling the area was difficult for the police force. They just didn't have enough to work it. Just like any other city, they had their fair share of missing people, and often they weren't really looked for by the authorities. They were brushed off as Mm -hmm. vagabonds and prostitutes. The police would assume that they had moved on and didn't really look past the surface if they didn't see any signs of foul play. Right. Okay, they moved. They moved. That's fine. You know, whatever. Why use up resources on is, on like, another person passing through? That didn't stop their loved ones for being worried and looking for them. Of course. On July 17th, 1980, construction workers uncovered the very shallow grave holding the skeletal remains of a woman who was later named Ekletna Annie. That was the street she was found on, was Ekletna. They they never found out who she was. Okay. Though her remains had been desecrated by wildlife and a bit scattered, the cause of death was documented as multiple stab wounds. It was determined that Ekletna was between 16 to 25, but not much else was recognizable. The animals had just... Ravaged her. yeah. Yeah. They made a sketch of what they assumed she looked like and put it out, hoping someone would recognize her. But because of the severity of the crime, police actually began canvassing, worried that there was a brutal murder on the loose. She was never identified, though, and police never had any confident leads. I'm going to show you the sketch of her, and that might answer why nobody ever claimed her. This is what they released. What is that? It looks like a doll with <sighs> no distinctive features. Okay, so this looks like a terrible character caricature of a native person. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. There's a newer one that looks like an actual person. Right. And I think that had this been released at that time, or even something just kind of similar, it would have been really helpful. So, like, there's the one we just saw. Right. And this is the one that they've released now. Oh, that's so much better. Okay, so go back to the original, because I want to... So this looks like a CPR dummy. Yes. Like, not real skin, no distinguishable features. Like, just... The eyes, for example, you can tell that they are, like, marbles. They're, you can see the gap underneath the eyelid where it doesn't touch the eye. Like, it's just, it's a bad doll CPR dummy. I guess in the 80s? Yeah, 1980. This is the best they could do. But it's awful. But this new sketch is great. She looks like she has medium brown hair or light hair because it's a black and white sketch mm-hmm. she's got a really lovely face and dark eyes and she looks like a human person like if I saw this and I saw like, I, I would be able to, to identify this person if yeah. I knew who they were yeah if I had seen this picture I would be able to recognize this as somebody I know even if the features aren't perfect yeah uh, and here's another one too where it has more of like the 80s style hair yeah big hair mm-hmm. but you know not not very good sketch i'm i'm not trying to say they didn't do a good job like searching but i just feel like somebody should have looked at that initial image and been like i don't know man that's a featureless doll it really like cpr dummy is what comes to mind a little while later the remains of joanna messina or messina 
were found a short distance away in a gravel pit near Seward, Alaska, which prompted police to form a special task force to investigate it because now they have like two. How far away is this from Anchorage? It's two and a half hours. Oh. Joanna was a young woman who had moved to Alaska with her almost too loyal dog, as neighbors reported. She had all but isolated herself from all of her neighbors and friends, either because of the dog's overprotectiveness of her or just her general demeanor. Okay, I was going to ask how a dog can be, like, too loyal, but that makes sense now. Yeah, it was... It was said that it was too loyal and overprotective, but really all that's telling me is that she had an insecure dog. Yeah. But... He wasn't socialized properly. But the neighbors were honestly shocked that anyone was able to get close enough to touch her, let alone harm her, mm-hmm. because of that dog's protectiveness. The dog was never found. Oh. No, no parts of it. That's sad. She had been reported missing less than a month before her body was found. Over a year later, on November 23rd, 1981, Dale Yonkowski reported his girlfriend, Sherry Morrow, as missing and filed a report with the Anchorage Police Department. Sherry was 23 years old at the time, with blue eyes and light brown hair, but the picture that I have of her, she looks like sandy blonde, dirty blonde. It's not... Okay. Well, you know... Some boys call gray dark white, so... She was five foot six, in fit condition. Yankowski told the police he had last seen Cherry a week before when he had dropped her off at the Wild Cherry Bar for a girls' night with her friend Lisa. They were going to hang out, and she was going to spend the night, and then the next day she was going to go to a doctor's appointment and come home. Yeah. She was wearing her glasses, some blue jeans, and a baby blue jacket, like a puffer jacket. Mm-hmm. And it had dark blue trim on it. She didn't bring any extra clothes because she was going to go over to her friend's house and come over the next day, so she wasn't worried about it. But yeah. the next day, her boyfriend Dale didn't hear from her, and he got worried and called the doctor's office to see if she was still there, and they said she never showed up for her appointment. Great. Yeah. So the police, you know, they, they looked for her, but they didn't find any leads or anything to show foul play until 10 months later in the summer of 1982. Two off-duty police officers were headed home after a long day of hunting, and they stumbled on some unearthed bones, and they immediately reported their discovery to dispatch Alaska State Troopers to the scene, because they were like, nope, we're not touching this, we're police, but not right now. We're yeah, not gonna mess they're off-duty. Yeah, they were like, we're out here hunting, and we suddenly come across bones. We were civilians at this point in time. Yeah. No, the shallow grave was located on the shore of the Knick River, approximately 25 miles north of Anchorage. Though it was in poor condition, her clothes were still recognizable as the puffy baby blue jacket with the dark blue trim and jeans. They also found glasses amongst the bones. Her death was ruled homicide by bullet wounds that were discovered in her back once her body had been stripped. They also found a 223 bullet casing near the remains. The reason that I say they found the bullet wounds after she was stripped is because the clothes themselves did not have any bullet holes in them. Oh, man. So that signaled to police that she had been shot while she was naked and And then then redressed and then buried. Like, that's fucking weird. Yeah, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I've had to dress my sleeping, like, seven, eight-year-old and that's hard because of, like, all that they're heavy, like, floppy. weight. Yeah. yeah, like, they're not helping at all. I cannot imagine trying to dress a fully grown person. It's fucking weird. But Sherry's case was the first case of a missing person that turned up murdered. So it really lit a fire under the police department, and they actually picked up the cold case of her missing. Good. They wondered also because of the similarity between the resting places for their bodies, their similar lifestyles, um, if Sherry's murder was somehow related to Eklatna Annie. And at least five women went missing in the following years. Oh, wow. On June 13th, 1983, a trucker picked up a girl who was wandering frantically and gave her a ride to a nearby hotel to wait for someone to come and pick her up. The girl had handcuffs on her wrist, and that 
obviously, like, worried the man. Right. And he asked her about it. And the young girl, Cindy Paulson, told the trucker she was a sex worker and had a bad time with a man and was waiting on her pimp. He was not confident in her safety with that. He didn't know if the pimp had done it to her or what what, what had happened. Yeah. So he actually called the police and waited for them to come. Good job, trucker. Yeah. Officer Greg Baker arrived and interviewed Cindy about the event. Cindy stated that a man had picked her up soliciting oral sex and for $200, which, hell yeah, $200. <laughs> when she accepted and climbed into the car, he pulled a gun on her and handcuffed and blindfolded her and took her what she assumed to be his home. Once the blindfold was off, she was able to see she was in a wood panel room full of hunting trophies and taxidermy. It was there that he abused, tortured, and brutally raped her for hours. He chained her to a wooden beam by her neck when he wasn't using her. When he was done, he had her chained to the wooden beam. He napped on a couch nearby. Hmm. In the same room on the opposite side of a wall. Yeah. When he woke up, he just matter-of-factly told her that they were going to go fly to his private cabin, and if she cooperated, he would just let her go out there, and she could... Have her chance at survival, essentially. I thought that's where this was going. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. While they were at the airport, Cindy was crouched in fear in the backseat of the man's car and was told to stay in the vehicle while the man loaded his plane, but ran as soon as the opportunity arose, somehow escaping him. Good girl. Like, I would be so scared because I would just assume, like, he has a gun, he's just going to shoot me. I don't know how she got away, if he just didn't see her fast enough, or if he didn't want to draw attention by shooting her, but she fucking did it. Investigators needed more, and they took her back to the airfield, hoping that she was able to recognize anything that would lead them back to the man that had taken her hostage. Cindy claimed that she had left her shoes on the floor of the man's car as evidence, and she was able to identify a small aircraft, which was found to be owned by Robert Hansen. Police questioned a shocked and angry Hansen who claimed that he had nothing to do with it, though his wife and children were out of town visiting extended family. Hansen said that he had spent the entire evening playing poker with his friends, who later confirmed his alibi. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, Hansen stated that all of his hunting trophies had been stolen and he had filed a report on it, and after allowing a search of his home, authorities couldn't find any any evidence that supported Cindy's story. Yeah, the case was dropped. That's so weird. Yeah, Cindy refused a polygraph and they dropped the case because there was no substantial evidence. He must have like a second house or something where he stashed it away. You would think. Months later, in September of 1983, the remains of Paula Golding were found on the Kinnick River, close to where Sharon Morrow's body was found, and in a very similar way. Another shallow grave, another victim of gunshot wounds to the back while naked and redressed. Paula was also a dancer, although she was only 17 when she went missing. Mm. This solidified to the police that they had a serial killer on the loose, though. And Officer Greg Baker, who had investigated Cindy's case, had a strong suspicion and started a detailed file against Robert Hansen to uncover all of his bullshit. Mm-hmm. He was, like, determined. He, he knew it. He did, and he uncovered the previous arrest for the attempted kidnapping and rape, respectively, of the two women. He gave the report to Alaska State Trooper Sergeant Glenn Floth, who head the Topless Dancers Task Force. Floth agreed with Baker that Hansen was a strong suspect and began his own investigation into Hansen, going so far as to reopen the Cindy Paulson case and re-interview Hansen's friends, John Henning and John Sumrall. There's too many Johns. We gotta stop with the fucking Johns. (laughs) Floth and Baker discovered Hansen's childhood was far from perfect, citing the abuse and bullying. Floth pushed back Hansen's alibi to his friends, instilling fear in the men by describing the sadistic and gruesome murders that had been unearthed and threatening the men with perjury and jail time. The men both folded on Hansen apologizing for their previous statement, saying that they thought he was an upstanding man and thought they were really protecting him from a woman trying to ruin his marriage. Evidently, Hansen had told them he did in fact solicit a sex worker, but that when it came time, he couldn't cheat on his wife, and Cindy was angry about it, and her claims were nothing more than a prostitute 
ex- attempting to extort a good man. Great. Floth contacted FBI special agents John Douglas and Roy Hazelwood, requesting help with a serial killer profile using the three deaths they thought were connected. Douglas said the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his murders, such as jewelry. He also suggested the assailant might have a stutter. Hansen was asked to come into the station. That was him almost to a T. Hmm. And this person, these actually these people, these special agents in the FBI, had no information on this. Yeah. Like, that is wild to me how far serial killer profiling can get you. Yeah. Yeah. While Baker and Floth interrogated a very cool and relaxed Hansen, other officers executed a search warrant on the man's home, cars, and plane, hoping to stall and give officers a chance at Hansen's home to find any substantial evidence. Baker pushed hard on Hansen. Pressure on him ranged from questions about insurance fraud, since his hunting trophies were found in the home and Good. had not been stolen as he previously claimed, to murder charges. Hansen claimed to be innocent on all accounts. Even though they literally had the hunting trophies there, like, he filed a claim with his insurance and was paid for them. Oh, wow. And the trophies were... It's fucking ridiculous. So, like, to me, it's very weird that someone would steal your hunting trophies. Like, what's what's the value in that for them? I don't know. I mean, there has to be, though, because... I guess. I don't know. Clout? Maybe. Or, like... I get, do they mean trophies, like, metal, like, trophies? No. Or they mean, like, like taxidermy. Taxidermy is... Mm-hmm. I guess so. Okay. He had some awards, like I said, but yeah. his name would have been on them, so there wouldn't have been a point to take something with somebody else's I name. I guess on if it. they if they take the taxidermies it's because they think it's cool. Yeah, I don't know. Alright, sure. But he again claimed that the women who had reported him in the seventies and Cindy Paulson were trying to ruin his reputation to further themselves. Like they were using him to get something. I don't I don't understand. Okay. Sure. Hansen was arrested on October 27th in 1983 and charged with insurance fraud, kidnapping, assault, and theft. Just those, though. Just those. Okay. But it gave them time to go through all the evidence. So for four months, the police combed through every bit of evidence that they could. They went so far as to vacuum the downstairs room where Cindy Paulson said to have been kept. Mm-hmm. And then they went through the vacuum bags mm-hmm. to look for evidence. Like, they were extremely thorough. That's they good. couldn't find anything for a while. They ended up with a substantial amount of evidence to charge Hansen with the murder of the four women found. The most important evidence was discovered in a, like, small crawl space, like, attic, mm-hmm. where he had a bag of women's jewelry, IDs matching several missing people. Oh wow. A 223 mini rifle, newspaper clippings that were connected to the missing persons and their discovery of the remains, and a map of Alaska with over 20 X marks across it. Oh wow. Several of them were found to be almost exactly where they had unearthed bodies. So, he kept a lot of trophies. Yeah, he obviously spent the majority of his adult years, like, really refining what he was doing. Yeah. He started out in the 70s just, like, trying to snatch people off the street, essentially. Yeah, and that obviously didn't work. Yeah, he got better at this, which is terrifying. Yeah. And, of course, in the 70s, they didn't have a lot of DNA testing or anything like that. Like, he literally got caught... Just because he made a mistake and Cindy Paulson got free. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Stay out of Alaska, y'all. They trying to pay you to go up there. <laughs> Run. <laughs> uh, Hansen eventually confessed to the rape, torture, and murder of 17 women, claiming he could have done more, but would sometimes let the women go if they did what he wanted, which the several things that I read ranged from like didn't fight or argue to didn't ask for money like I don't know if it just changed on a whim like what he felt but gross 
Yeah, um, no. Uh, he stated that after he was done with a girl, he would then fly them in his plane to a remote area to kill them. Oftentimes, though, it would be to his own hunting cabin. He would make them strip and tell them to run for it, and yep. then would hunt them. Yep. Like a game. That's what I thought. Yeah. Like, that is fucking terrifying. Just, uh, holy shit. I, uh, I, I figured when you were like, they were found out in the woods with bullet holes and had been redressed, like, I was like, oh, and he's a hunter? That's where we're going with this. Yeah. And, but to have it confirmed is like a whole other thing and a whole level of, a whole other level of, ugh. Yeah, no, it's really fucking disgusting, I'm gonna be honest, like, murder is already just, what the fuck is wrong with you, but to find joy in the hunt of yeah. a person is just, <sighs> no thank you, I, I, I want nothing to fucking do with that shit, it's fucking awful, um, and most of the, the women were found to die from bullet wounds from the two twenty three. There was somebody who died from just a, a twenty-three. Um, but other you know, it they weren't able to see what else he could have done because the bodies were in such poor condition because he right. just buried them in the Alaskan wilderness. Yeah. You know, so he could have at some point used his bow and arrow or he could have, um, like they found with cutting at any like just stab them to death like it could have been any sort of means and yeah. it's <sighs> you said some of them were teenagers still too yeah <sighs> yeah they they ranged from I think like 16 to 25 or something poor babies police accompanied Hansen after his arrest on 15 expeditions to places marked on his map he said that they were grave sites, so they wanted to find the, the remains. They only discovered seven bodies, however, due to how shallow he had dug the graves and then, of course, animal interference yeah. with the remains. Like, that's going to happen. It's nature. And he wasn't trying very hard. No, I'm sure he wasn't. Officials believe that there are over 20 victims, but Hansen vehemently denied those allegations. The remains of 12 victims were found and returned to their respective families for a proper burial. Good. Hansen was sentenced to 461 years in prison, plus life, without the possibility of parole. He died at the age of 75 from natural causes in 2014. Wow. So, the biggest thing for me with this is, again, how sex workers are seen by officials and police and things like they're they're almost seen as just disposable disposable yeah like there there's not enough look into it because because of how their lives are they just aren't seen as worthy of the same attention as yeah. like a upper class white woman like I don't understand that um, I'm sure that there is some sort of psychological thing there, but there's I, there's a whole mindset of they brought it on themselves is yeah an issue. Fucking victim blaming. Yes. Yeah. No. I um, I again got angry at this, but I did like I said I found that documentary on Netflix which there were a lot of things in that documentary that I could not find any sources for mm -hmm. but they were really cool in the movie to watch so the movie I found is called The Frozen Ground and it's on Netflix and it's like an adaptation storytelling I don't know the right word for mm -hmm. the genre but it has John Cusack and Nicolas Cage and Vanessa Hudgens and I'm just very confused as to how this came out and like I had no idea about it until eight years later. Yeah. So, um, but it was really good. Mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed it. I don't want to, like, give away the movie for you, but there were times where I was like, there's no way that these things are happening at the same time. 
Yeah. Like, it had, when they were interrogating him, and they had the police, like, searching his home, but they had Nicolas Cage, who plays Officer Baker, both interrogating him and at his house, Mm -hmm. and it would, like, switch back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like he was in both places at the same time, or that he was, like, driving back and forth, which made no sense to me. There was also, in the, in the, in the film, and I don't know if this is real, but Henson had essentially put, like, a hit out on Cindy because he knew that she was talking to the police and, like, he was going to get in trouble for it. But in the movie, the man that Henson had hired found her pimp and convinced him to bring Cindy to him. Mm-hmm. And so the pimp, like, went and picked her up and was like, hey, I've been looking for you everywhere, and then drove her out to the middle of nowhere. And the hitman shows up, and it was like a double cross where when he went to go hand Cindy over, he pulled a gun on the hitman and was like, give me your money, and told Cindy to get in the car, and then Cindy got in the car and, like, drove off and was like, fuck you. Um, and, <laughs> like, while all this is happening... Henson was supposed to... That sounds like a dramatization. Yeah, and so so there was that. And so then Cindy, like, drove back to the motel that she was staying at and called Baker to come and get her or something, which I think she was on a mobile phone in the car. It doesn't make sense for for the, you know, hitman, but whatever. But he gets there, like, right in time to save her from the hitman and then takes her back to the station where, again, Henson is being interrogated still. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, she sees him through the window and he's, like, lying or something. And she just, like, opens the door to the interrogation room and stands there. And he sees her and he's like, you fucking cunt! And, like, tries to attack her. And he's like, I should have killed you when I had the chance! And I'm like, oh, huh, we fucked up there, huh? So I don't know if any of that was real, but it was really good, like, movie-wise to see. Yeah. It. And it was very, like, riveting. I liked it. <laughs> In any case, uh, you should watch it. <laughs> Get some more insight to, uh... Bob the Butcher Henson, but yeah, um, his wife had no idea. He hid all of it from her. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't find any updated information on her or the kids, so I don't know if they, like, just changed their name and drop off the face of the earth, or if they were on witness protection or what. Um, Cindy Paulson is, or was doing well, last I read about her, though, so. That's good. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. I think that as far as this specific serial killer goes I think that the signs were really prominent Mm -hmm. when he was younger and had they had more knowledge there could have been probably some intervention for him and I don't know I just feel like we're always failing people in our judicial system like oh yeah when he was arrested early on for similar crimes, there should have been more that happened there. Like, there should have been more intervention for him. And that's something we've we've seen a lot. Yeah, like, we, so many lives could have been saved just by spending more time on this man. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying, oh no, poor him, he was a murderer. But had our judicial system done what it should have done he would never have been in that situation to kill more people. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why do we don't want to take care of our community. Like, that wouldn't somehow better our community. Yeah. And I noticed when I asked about, like, his choice victims, I noticed that they, you said they ranged from, like, 16 to 25, which is the age range of those who were making fun of him when he was younger. Yeah. Up until, like, when he got married. Yeah. So... He really had a ideal that he was set against. An image that he had a vendetta against. Mm-hmm. And it just is really awful. Even, like, when he was young, if he had not had such abuse by his parents or had some kind of intervention with even just his stutter, you know, it, it could have been a totally different outcome. Yeah, I I really feel for children who don't get the attention that they need. I think that once you become a parent, you kind of relive your childhood a little bit, and Mm -hmm. you'll catch yourself doing things that your parents did, and you either go, oh, yeah, that was good, or you go, why the fuck did my parents do that? I don't want to do this. Oh, yeah. Um, I get that. And that's, like, that's that's really important in my household. Uh, 
I always make sure that I listen to the entirety of what my kids have to say, which is especially hard with Kaya, uh, my middle my middle child, because she has a lot to say, <laughs> and she says it very well. Like, I can't argue with somebody who has a good point. You know what I mean? And she's five, and she's got good points. And it's not, like, good five-year-old points either. Like, yeah. the topics are sometimes, like, five-year-old topics. But the way that she's presenting them to me, I'm like, all right, yeah, that's fair. You know, like, I can't, I I don't have an argument for that because Mm -hmm. that's correct. And I, that's what, you know, I would want somebody to do for me. And I've had people before tell me, like, oh, my gosh, you talk to your children like they're adults. And I'm like, yes, Susan, one day they will be adults. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to reteach them. Yeah. You know, so. My husband does that to me, too. He's like, why do you use words with her that she doesn't understand yet? And I'm like, because. She's going to understand them soon. Like, what do you, what do you want me to do here? What was it? I constantly use just my normal everyday vocabulary with my children because one, I'm not going to change how I speak for them to easier comprehend. Comprehension is something that they have to learn anyways. And I usually try and throw in like context clues in my sentences to help them. Yeah. So, like, today, for example, I was trying to get Kaya to finish her homework, and she was upset, and I was like, I was like, look, all you have to do is these, these few things, and then when we'll be done, you have the whole day for yourself. I was like, but throwing a fit, do you think that's going to positively affect your day or negatively affect your day? Like, is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? You know, mm-hmm. so, like, I threw the words in there, and then I gave some, some context to it. Right. And she kind of looked at me, and she was like, what, negative? And I was like, no, like, negative, like... You know, you don't get tablets, and positive is you can go out and play in the rain or whatever you want to do. She was like, oh, okay, yeah. But I'm not going to dumb down my... my. And sometimes I'm just messing with her. Like, I'll use big words because I'm messing with her, and I know she doesn't know what they mean. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I don't know why you talk to her like that. I'm like, I'm just messing with her. Yeah. No, I don't do that bit. I, <laughs> I intentionally use my full vocabulary around my children, and... It's evident to me when I hear them speak to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, Iris came out because my sister came over the other day, and she was like, I'm very uncomfortable because we have unannounced company, and I didn't know. And I was like, okay, well, if you need a minute, like, you can go into your room. You don't have to come out right yeah. now. And she was like, I just want to wait until I feel more comfortable to be around them. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. But I was like. I, like, listened to her, and I was like, mm-hmm, unannounced company. That's something a nine-year-old says. Go <laughs> on. Uh, but, I don't know. It makes me very proud of them to hear them speaking with words. Yeah. And fully comprehending those words, even when they're a little bit more complex. So. And with my daughter, she's a pretty articulate four-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Like, she says really silly stuff, and she says four-year-old stuff, like... She'll walk around just going, chicken feet, and she thinks it's the funniest thing. Yeah. Because it's a four-year-old thing. But also, what did she... She just constantly blows my mind. Yeah. I I don't think that we give children enough credit for what they understand, because they don't always communicate that the clearest, and I think that that's really the issue, is that children are, are struggling in their reaching out in the ways that they know how to reach out as children and adults or society see it as them acting out. Right. uh, Or being angry. And instead of helping them and nurturing them, they dismiss it as them just being a bad kid. Yes. And that's, that's really where my, my issue is. Like we're having that issue right now also because, um, she has some, we're, we're, tentatively calling it amongst me and my husband like PTSDs a little bit with um needles and shots and band-aids and stuff like that because of her regular injections she was and then her two-year-old year year being spent in the hospital like so we feel like that's probably a fair assessment and a couple weeks ago she got her injection and she had a weird reaction to it Mm -hmm. nothing severe it just swell up and was red and I think I just got in the muscle instead of in the subcutaneous like I was supposed to but we wanted to take her bandaid off and it was half falling off anyways and all I said was hey let me see what's going on with your leg and she just screamed Mm. and was like don't take my boo-boo bandage off 
we're trying to calm her down because we know that the issue is not the band-aid we know that the issue is she's having this Mm -hmm. stress reaction yeah like ingrained trying to address what the child needs as opposed to what's quote-unquote wrong with them right we couldn't care less about the band it was the band-aid wasn't the issue and we got her calmed down and everything and we said good night and left i've um had that issue a lot because of my eldest who has ptsd and anxiety and all that stuff it has been a lot of work to better understand her and mm-hmm. know what her triggers are and what the best step is to take like we've gone from having to physically hold her so she doesn't hurt herself or others to now I can ask her like go in your room have quiet time and then come back out but yeah um, like the other day she was upset about something I can't remember what but she was upset and that always makes her more irritable and so she'll sure. be really mean particularly to Kaya yeah for no reason so like Kaya was trying to make her own sandwich and iris was also making a sandwich and got them separate knives for some nine-year-old reason but kaya was trying to put the mayonnaise on the bread and iris gently tried to help her and be like hey you're gonna you're gonna mess up your bread you're pushing too hard but kaya was distracted because she was watching the tv over Mm -hmm. the counter and didn't hear her and iris repeated it several times and then got mad and was like you're gonna rip the bread and Kai was like, Mom, Iris is being mean to me. Like, she wasn't paying attention at all until this point. Yeah. And she was like, Mom, Iris is being mean. And I was like, Iris, are you being mean? And she was like, no, she's not listening. And I was like, okay, <laughs> come here. It's <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening for you right now. Yeah. But your helpfulness to your sister turned into bossiness and then rudeness. Yeah. It's like, she's not done anything wrong to you. She got me in trouble. I was like, she didn't get you in trouble. Your actions got you in trouble. Right. I was like, you need to take a deep breath and calm down. And, like, she was like, all right, cool, whatever. And, like, went back over there. They made their sandwiches. They were sitting down at the table. And Kaya had the tablet to watch a movie. And Iris had lost it, tablets, because she was throwing things the day before. But she had the tablet to watch a movie. And that made Iris angry. So Iris was just staring at Kaya over the tablet, like, giving her dirty looks Mm -hmm. until Kaya noticed and was like, Mom, now she's giving me dirty looks. And I was like, all right, Iris, separate. Like, go away from your sister. And she, like, got up and, like, threw the chair on the ground. And I was just like, okay, we we're done with lunch. We're done with lunch. You need to go to your room. And she was like, you're just being mean to me because you're mad at me. I was like, I'm not mad. I was like, I'm not mad, but you're being mean. You can be angry. You can't be mean. Those are two different things. Yep. You're taking this out on your sister because you want somebody else to be the reason for your anger. And it's not the case. Yep. And she went to her room, and she came back out, and she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, she's gotten to the point now That's where she so can, good. like, calm down. But, like, if I give any sort of inclination that I am upset, she goes tenfold. The Justice Department, and really, like, the states in general, don't do what they're supposed to with these kids. They don't do what they're supposed to do with troubled youth. Yep. And it ends up costing people their lives. Mm-hmm. Nobody, I don't think, is born a murderer. Like, I don't see how that would be instilled in anybody. Like, you have to have some sort of experience that makes you think that way. Like, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But I think that if there was intervention and there was help and support for people um, with or without mental illness that it would just be better all around for our community. I agree. Here are the known victims. Okay. So that is Ekletna Annie that we went over. Mm. That's Joanna Masuna, Barry Morrow, Paula Golding, and she's 17 years old, and she looks so, so happy. She does. Makes it sad. She looks like she just laughs all the time. Mm-hmm. Like a loud laugh, too. Oh, yeah. Malai Larson. And Sue Luna, they don't know when she died, but he was one of the ones that she, like, he made run for her life, essentially. Um, There aren't pictures for these two, who are Delaney Frey and Teresa Watson and Angela Federn. 
Tamara Peterson, Lisa Futro, and Andrea Altier. Wow. Um, and then it says down here, he had kept a fish necklace that had been custom made for Altieri. And that's another thing. In the movie, and I don't know if this is real, but in the movie, when he's interrogating Henson before Cindy comes in, he had earlier in the movie, like, interviewed somebody whose sister had gone missing. And she was like, you know, we have these, these bracelets. Mm-hmm. They're exactly the same. We always wear them. She never took hers off. Like, here's mine. If you find it, like, it's her. Mm-hmm. It, this is, these are the only bracelets like this. And in the evidence bag with all the jewelry, they didn't find it. Hmm. But he had the other one. And he remembered that it was, like, exactly like the other one. And he was like, well, if they have that, like, if he has these trophies, then he had this bracelet or he's seen it. And so he, in the movie, again, not sure if this is accurate, but he, like, went in there and he was like, oh, we found your little stash in your attic. And, like, slammed the bracelet of the sister down on the table Mm -hmm. and was like, huh, look at that. Does this look familiar? But, again, I don't know if that happened, but it was, like, a really good gotcha moment. You know what I mean? Like, oh, shit, you did find it. (laughs) But, in any case, that is Robert Bob the Butcher Henson. Wow. And, um... Stay out of Alaska. Yeah, stay out of Alaska. It's crazy out there. Yeah. If you're from Alaska, don't hate me. I mean, I... You don't know how it works. I don't know how it works. <laughs> it's cold up there. I mean... Thanks for listening to Murder Moms. Be sure to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon, where you'll get exclusives like outtakes, discount codes for merch, and bloopers. Subscribe to our newsletter to see the photos we discuss in the episode, our sources, links to merch, and other bonuses. Submit questions, comments, and corrections to murdermomspodcast at gmail.com, and you can also just drop a line to say hi. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.